Good morning. The video spoke of the dangers of pride. And I think we'd agree that pride can be a nasty thing, right? I find that it's very easy for me to see pride in others. Not near so easy to look inward and see where pride has crept into my own soul. It's easy to see people and just call them cocky, arrogant. We see how ugly it can be in others. But today I want to do a bit of inward looking and see what God has for us in the way of humility. You know, when I think of pride in some ways, I think there can be aspects of pride that are more or less okay and explain. I would say I'm proud of my son. I would use terms like I'm proud to be an American or a term that would say I'm I'm proud of this church. When I see how this church truly loves God, people who are have a heart to follow Christ with everything they have. I'm proud to see the generosity of this church. The giving level of this church is really off the charts compared to what may be true in, in other places. I'm proud that you care for those in need. I see generosity and giving and care and giving of your time. But maybe a better way to reframe that or to rethink that would be a statement such as, well, because pride, that kind of pride is defi defined as a feeling of deep pleasure or satisfaction derived from the achievements of those with whom one is closely associated. So you see somebody doing something good and you associate with them and you say, proud of that. But I think the reason I think that is close to being okay is because it's really more of a thankfulness. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for the gift of my son. I'm thankful for what God is doing. And I'm thankful for the freedom I have as an American to worship the Lord this morning without any fear of reprisal. Those are things I'm thankful for. But there is other kinds of pride. And I'd say that real pride is really ugly. Sinful and deeply destructive. That kind of pride I would call words like conceit, selfishness, egotism, vanity, vainglory, narcissism. When pride is shows its ugly head in those ways, we all see it as ugly, and we see the damage that it can cause. St. Augustine defined pride as the love of one's own excellence. When we see that, we realize as people who follow God how that is not what God has for us. We hear that kind of pride in words like, I'm better than you, I can do it on my own, I do it my way, my way or the highway, I don't need you and I don't need God. And let's just state right out that the Lord condemns that kind of an attitude. It, we look back to where God was dealing with Satan. We read about that in Isaiah 14. And God is referring to Satan here where he says, you said in your heart, and this is what was in the heart of Satan, 
I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. You know, Satan was beautiful. We sometimes see pictures of him as some snarling, demonic, black, smoky image. But the scripture speaks of Satan as beautiful, powerful, amazing. One of God's most beautiful archangels. The name Satan actually means bearer of light. And so this incredible, beautiful angel of God got self-absorbed. And he's saying, I'm going to go above God. Look at me. Look at how beautiful I am. And he took it on to himself. And Jesus, or in this sense, God, didn't really have much of a choice here, did he? His choice was he realized that that could not stand. In Isaiah 42, 8, we read the Lord saying, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to idols. So when Satan tried to raise himself up, God cast him down. We read in verse 12, How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground. So let's just state a couple things clear today. God will never share his glory with another. He will not share it with Satan. He will not share it with you. Because there's really only one that is worthy of our praise and glory, and that's the Lord. And if we ever get that mixed up, God in his faithfulness and in his righteousness will make things clear to us. So pride is a horrible and destructive thing, but how do you fight against it? Well, it, it? Sometimes it's insidious. Sometimes it sneaks in. How do we fight against being Christians who live in pride? This year we're talking about a year of being empowered. When you look at that word empowered, anybody need to be empowered? Well, if you need to be empowered, that's initially stating that we're in need of power, right? You're in need, which means it's in a statement implicit that says, I am weak and in need of help. And it's a right place to be. I do remember when someone said, well, you just, you know, that Christianity and Jesus, Jesus is just a crutch for you. I said, you're right. Because I'm a broken man, a sinful man that needs help. You want to call it a crutch, fine, but I'm saying I need the help of the Lord. I cannot make this in this, I cannot make it in this world alone. So the first tool, I want to give you two tools to walk in God-given, God-ordained humility. To not walk in pride. And the first tool is that, it's humility. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let's just think about that for a moment. 
If you are walking in pride, God is opposed to you. And let me say, you don't want that. Right? You don't want God Almighty, the creator of the universe, opposed to you. I'm greatly motivated to walk in humility because I want God fighting for me. I want God with me, God backing me. James 4.6 says, I read that, James 4.10 says, humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. So humility is something that we, there's actually actions we can take to walk in humility. So I believe that humility comes by an accurate understanding and an embracing of the truth. And today as we talk about this, this is a two-part series. This Sunday and next Sunday. And as we talk about this, what I'm talking about today is the first part of emptying ourselves, of walking in humility, of looking in right perspective of who we are. Some might say, well, that's kind of a downer message because I'm talking about really who we are in comparison to God. And humility says, Lord, you are God and I am not. It recognizes who God is and where we are in right relationship to him. The next week I want to talk about who we are in Christ. So realize there's a second part to this message series. So humility comes with a knowledge and an embracing of the truth. And I believe that when we see the truth, the natural response will be humility. Isaiah the prophet Remember him, the Old Testament, Isaiah? We read in chapter 6, he received a vision of the heavens. And Isaiah, in verse 1, chapter 6, says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, Two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Just say holy, holy with me. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. That's what these seraphim were consumed with the glory and the holiness of God. And the whole earth is full of his glory, and the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. So Isaiah has this unbelievable, crazy vision of God in the heavens and the seraphim flying around him. And the, there's an earthquake and there's smoke. And what was Isaiah's response? He said, man, I'm pretty special to get a vision like this. I must be something else. No, when he saw the reality of God's gloriousness, Isaiah says, woe is me. Another scripture says, I am undone. I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When God revealed just a sliver of his truth, to Isaiah, I have no doubt he fell on the ground saying, holy is the Lord, I am a sinner. Oh God, have mercy. Humility was a natural response 
when he saw the reality of God. It's important that we have an honest evaluation of who we are. Here's a couple things that the Scripture shows us. Number one, we are small and God is great. Just encourage somebody with those words. You're really small. <laughs> Doesn't sound encouraging right off, does it? But this is truth. We are small and God is great. David, imagine David who'd been the shepherd, nights alone in the incredible nights of Israel, looking up into the stars. And David writes in Psalm 8, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you're mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. He looked at the expanse of the heavens. You ever done that? You ever been up where you can really see the stars? You get up in Boundary Waters or get up there in Canada. Or you get up and you see the heavens and you think, the creator of the universe knows my name. What am I that you would even think of me, God? You know, you and I and everything that we know resides, we reside on a tiny wet rock a million times less massive than the sun. In a solar system, that's our sun and our planets, one ten millionth the diameter of our galaxy, which contains at least 100 billion stars in a universe filled with billions of galaxies and maybe more. Those numbers don't even calculate in my brain. It just says our Earth, when we think of the universe, is very, very small. So my first point is, you and I are very small. And our God is very great. He's too great. There's no measurement. There's no size that we can measure him by. But he is the creator of the universe. And it says in Psalm 147, he determines the number of stars and calls each of them by name. So once again, the typical galaxy has one trillion stars. And to date, they have 125 billion observable galaxies. That's a lot of stars. And God calls them all by name. So recognizing the truth of this, I believe a natural response is humility. Humility, saying God is great. And we are very small. Psalm 145 says it well, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. It's beyond our ability to understand God is amazing. Secondly, we are sinful and God is holy. Isaiah 53, 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Say all. Is it fair enough to say that we're all aware of our sinfulness? Fair enough. If not, 
please take a good, hard look at the Holy God. I don't think any of us have to look very far to realize our fallenness, our sinfulness, our imperfection. As a church, I hear criticism at times of people in the church aren't living up to standard. I wish we all were. But we are a church of sinful people. Redeemed by the Holy Ghost. Redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Working on a journey to fulfill what God's called us to in every step. But we are still people on a journey, right? Which means we still work with real people who are growing as fast as we can and as slow as we do. May God help us. And we are sinful, but God is holy. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned, say all. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And may the reality, knowing our human sinfulness, may that bring humility in our heart. Whenever we're judging someone else, may we start by looking inward. Like I say, it would be easy to see pride in someone else, but where has pride crept into my heart? Where am I acting out of an attitude that would be displeasing to God? We are sinful. And God is holy. 1 Samuel 2, 2 says, There is no one holy like the Lord. There is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. So it's not like God's holy and I'm pretty good too. It's there is one holy, and that is the Lord our God. Revelations 4, 8 says, The four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord, God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. So one truth that helps us walk in holiness is that we are sinful and God is holy. Number three, God is smarter than you. Any argument on that? You may be smart, but God is smarter than you by about a billion times. And I say that, although that you say, well, of course, but you know, sometimes we try to teach God, don't we? You know, God, if I were God, I'd do it this way. I don't like the way you're doing it. And God, you need to understand and we try to educate God with our great wisdom. And humility says, God, I don't get it. I don't understand this. It doesn't make sense to me, but Lord, I trust in your infinite knowledge. Isaiah 55, 8 says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declare the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God is smarter than you and me, and I'm very, very glad for that. For we are the created, and he is the creator. Psalm, 1, verse, Psalm 100, verse 3 says, Know that the Lord himself is God, it's he who made us, 
and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. It's good to recognize that he created us. Sometimes we try to recreate God in our image. I hear this all the time in our society today that we are developing ideas of justice and judging God by our concept of justice. And God is just. And he is a creator, and he sets the rules. I was reading a book recently about how that was debunking the idea of a real hell. And what it basically said was, I have a, I know you've heard that hell exists, but that isn't what a God of love would do. So let me tell you what it really is. And I, I read the book and I thought, I would love to rework God in my image sometimes, sadly. But I don't get to do that. And I don't get to tell God what justice is. And I don't get to tell God, if you really love, this is how you would create the universe. Because God is a creator and I am not. And we stand under his authority because that's what a creator gets to do. He gets to set things up in the way that our world is set up. God is a creator. And fifthly, we are, this, we are guilty subjects. And he's the righteous judge. Romans 3.10 says there's no righteous, not one. There's no one that understands. There's no one that seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And Psalm 7 says, my shield is with God who saves the upright in heart, God is a righteous judge. And so in all righteousness, in all fairness, we are guilty subjects and he is the righteous judge. I've mentioned this before, but where my children, you learn a lot from your children, right? You see yourself reflected in them. And my children would scream for fairness. Dad, it's not fair. He got the red truck. I wanted the red. You know, they have an idea of what fairness is, which always tilts their way, of course. But they have this idea. They say, we want, I want fairness. And I go, do you really? Fairness is, I tell my kids this. They love being a missionary son, you know. I'd say, if we want fairness, we all go to hell. I'm like, Dad. So I just want the truck, you know. I, I don't, don't give me that. Okay. But fairness says we have sinned, we fall short, he is a righteous judge, and we deserve judgment. And all of that should put us recognizing those truths by God's grace should build humility in us, recognizing how we stand in relation to a holy God. Proverbs 22.4 says, The reward for humility and the fear of the Lord. So when we walk in this humility, lest you see this as a negative message, I tell you, the reward of humility, the reward of working, of walking in the fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. They go, whoo! Praise the Lord. It's being blessed by God when we put ourselves in proper perspective and proper 
relationship to this God. And to me, it helps us walk in humble dependence upon him. God's not looking for people who can do it all by themselves without any help. He wants us to walk in proper relationship, in proper dependence upon him. And I think if we actually embrace these truths, it'd be hard to walk in great pride. It'd be hard to walk in shaking a fist at God or I'm doing it my own way when we understand what the Word of God tells us. It would help us to walk in humility. The second antidote to pride or the second tool we have to fight pride in our lives is thankfulness. I love this. We should develop a thankfulness muscle that day by day we walk in thankfulness. There's so many things to be thankful for. May we be people who show thankfulness to each other. I remember thanking someone in my ministry, the ministry in the Dominican Republic, thanked them, and someone said, don't thank them. It was somebody that we'd hired. Don't thank them. That's their job. I said, I'm thankful they do their job well. I'm thankful they do it with love and care and they invest with it. Well, you're paying them for that. I go, I'm still thankful because I appreciate what people do even if they're getting paid for it. Have a thankful heart. And really thankfulness accepts this truth that all that you have, all that you are, you have received from God. I want to say that again. We accept the truth that all that you have and all that you are is a gift from God, then naturally we should be thankful. The Lord has just shown me really over the years how easy it would be to lose the gifts that I have. I've, wa- I've had issues with my throat over the years. Praise the Lord, it's been a number of years. But it's hard to preach when you can't speak, Right? Might be able to write, but voice goes away and uh, Matt, you're on. <laughs> you get, you need a voice. And I've had times where I've just woken up and the voice is gone. So my ability to even teach or preach this morning depends upon God's gift of a voice, God's gift of health. I've had. And I say these in thankfulness to God. I remember an Easter a number of years ago, I had a back that went out, and I was so determined to preach that uh, Dan bought me a chair. Thank you, friend. Bought me a, a, a chair that was an anti-gravity. I was going to get up here in a lawn chair and preach a sermon. And then I thought, you know what? No one will hear the message. They'll just go, he was in a lawn chair. So I got somebody else, and they did a great job, and praise the Lord. But I realized having a back that works, having a voice that works, having health, these are gifts of God. And they can be taken easily. We can lose them. And God wants us to be thankful people. God wants us to be full of praise. Psalm 100 says, I want to read some scriptures, enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise, give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. 
His faithfulness continues through all generations. Psalm 106, 1. Praise the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Ephesians 5. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. Well, that pretty well wraps it up, doesn't it? We're giving thanks to the Lord for everything. Philippians 4, 6. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Colossians 2. So just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thanksgiving. Can you imagine the joy we'd have in church if everybody just was so thankful for just everything? You walk in and people, you're, so people are thankful to see you. They walk in, we're thankful for heat in this building. We're thankful that God has paid off the debt of our property. Hallelujah, I'm thankful. I'm thankful that we have friendships and relationships. And just let that thanksgiving flow. It would do us wonder. Once again, we need to develop that thankfulness muscle. One of the reasons I encourage everyone to take a trip overseas, it's good to go outside of America. And one of the reasons is because it builds thankfulness in you. You spend a week without a flush toilet, you're thankful in you. You come and you go, oh, I got a toilet that flushes. You come home, you, you live in a country, DR was about 40% without lights, random, all day long, lights going on. That was my life for 25 years. I come back, I'm like, the lights stay on. I'm thankful for electricity. And you go, well, no, you are, because much of the world lives without the joys of turning a switch and watching the lights actually come on. Dallas got a little experience of that this last week, didn't they? They were thankful when their lights were repaired and there was heat back in the house. You live with trash on the streets all over, everywhere. And then you watch in Minnesota and the trash truck comes by and it all just magically disappears. And I'm thankful for those men and women that come collect the trash and keep our city beautiful. Thankfulness comes as we have a little perspective on life. I'm thankful I've walked down streets in North Africa where there are no churches, no known Christians, no Bible, no Christian radio programs, and there's such a emptiness, such a lack of the truth of the Word of God, and I, think, I would think, oh, what I'd do to find a church here in this city, some church where I could fellowship with brothers and sisters and worship the Lord, even if I don't understand their language and the music. Where's my Christian family? I'm thankful for the freedom we have this morning. And as we travel the world and see things that we take for granted, we come back and thankfulness grows in our hearts. Joshua 2144 speaks of God's provision for Israel. 
Because I can hear people, even as I speak, think, well, you say God does this, but really it's me. I mean, I did the work. I earned the money. I bought this car. I bought this. This is mine. I mean, you talk about God, but really, it's me. I want to challenge that way of thinking. Joshua 21, 44 says, None of their enemies could stand against them. This is Israel as they entered into the promised land. Because the Lord delivered all their enemies into their hands. Can you just hear some warriors sitting around the campfire? And some prophet stands up and says, Because the Lord delivered their enemies into their hands. And these warriors go, Yeah. You see God out there? I mean, that was me. I was killing people in each of those cities. Nobody could stand against me, my strength, and I'm, I'm the most athletic, and, and it was all me. And you know, there is a part we play in these things. God, the danger of saying we trust in the Lord, God does it all, is that some people have abused that and they become passive. And they sit back and they're like, well, it's going to happen, God's going to do it, so I'll just grab another cup of tea and see what God will do. That's not the way God works things out. He calls us to active involvement. But behind all of that, we must realize that the blessing, the favor of God, our successes, our abilities are a gift from him. And our successes will not happen without the Lord. There are things we can do outside of God, but the results will not be life, will not be life-giving, will not be what God has called us to do. I'm going to read that again. None of their enemies could stand against them because the Lord delivered them all, their enemies, into their hands. Spurgeon had a statement that is fairly famous that I think kind of wraps this up. He says, work as though everything depends upon you and pray as though everything depends upon the Lord. And I think those both are true. We are to work with all our might, work with all our strength, and then say, God, thank you for the strength to work. Thank you for the favor you bring. Thank you for the open doors. Lord. I recognize your hand allowing me to do this work, allowing me to prosper, allowing me to, you can fill in the blank. So I believe God does not call us to passivity, but to work as unto him, but trusting that he will bring the increase. I remember first coming to this church. I'd never pastored before. And I didn't even recognize this in my heart. But somewhere inside must have been a thought that came to light over the years that if I pastored a church, it would automatically prosper and it would automatically grow because I was here. And that didn't really happen by God's faithfulness. And I remember this prayer time with God where I kind of looked and I thought, we've been at this level. We haven't really grown like I thought we might, God. And so I told the Lord, let's just get thing, one thing really, really clear. I cannot grow a church in my own power. And in case you need to hear me say that, God, let me say that again. 
It's not about me. It's not about my abilities. It's not about my leadership. That isn't going to do it. God, if you need to make sure I understand it, let me make sure I tell you, I get it. We got, if it had to be settled, we've settled that. All right. And, you know, the, the reality is, once you settle that with God, that it's not about you, that it's not about your own strength, and then God is free to work in his ways through us. And actually, whether the church grows in great numbers or not really isn't even my deep concern. Sure, I'd love to see it grow. Not really my concern. My concern is that we would please the Lord. My concern is that our lives, that he looked down on City Hill and say, those are people that love me. Those are people that are trying to serve me with all their idiosyncrasies and the funniness we are as people. There are people that love me and are walking in my word and in my ways and, and God would bless in our life to make a difference in the kingdom and we'll see what happens with the numbers of the church, but it's really not about that, is it? It's about us walking in proper humility in the fear of the Lord, being thankful for the incredible blessings he's poured out on us, And so that, that's my heart. My heart for us is as we walk, as we determine to be empowered by the Spirit, part A is that we would walk in humility. And we guard ourselves against even Christian pride that sees ourselves as better than others. There may be things that God gives us that he hasn't given others. Praise the Lord. We can be thankful. But we're not better than anybody. We're a part of his kingdom. We're dependent upon him. And as we keep that right perspective, then I think we're an open vessel for the Holy Spirit to flow through. And that's what I'm excited about. I'm excited that as we walk in humility, we will see the power of God, the moving of his spirit through us, not so that anybody knows our name, not so that anybody says, aren't you doing great? but that the Lord would be lifted up, that his name would be honored, and that he'd be pleased with us. He'd be pleased with each one of us in Jesus' name. So worship team, come on up. Father, I thank you that you, the God of the universe, the creator of all, the holy God that you know our name, that, God, you know us, you love us, and as small as we are, we are not insignificant to you. And that, God, your word says we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. Father, help us to put ourselves in right perspective with you and then see the amazing things that God wants to do in and through us. We thank you, Lord. May we be empowered by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. If you're visiting us today, we welcome you. I'd love to meet with you at the Welcome Center just on the left by the front doors. If you'd like someone to pray with you, to seek the Lord with you, we have over there a prayer room right through those doors. We'll have some people there to meet with you.
talk with you, pray with you this morning. Have a great week, folks. Continue to press on to love the Lord with all you have and all you are in Jesus' name.